0: In Advent, rediscovered by Southern Baptists, a 2015 article in the Baptist Press, David Roach reported the increased numbers of Southern Baptists celebrating Advent. Now, Baptists generally do not follow a liturgical calendar. However, there's been a noticeable increase of Baptists incorporating events on a liturgical calendar into the life of the church. This move not only helps minimize holidays that are simply culturally imposed on us, but it also helps emphasize the genuine holy days that Christians have celebrated throughout the centuries. In his article, Roach suggests that, quote, "...today's proliferation of Advent observance may be part of a pushback against the contemporary worship movement as believers seek increased solemnity and sobriety." noting that Advent helps contemporary believers set themselves apart from a world that is more hostile to the Christian faith than the world of Puritans and early Baptists. Now I'm recording on a snowy November day, and I'm joined by a local Christmas and Advent expert, my friend Tyler Hawley, to talk about what Advent is, how it's celebrated, and how it can help us enter into the Christmas season with a more pointed appreciation of Christ and the advent of his birth. Tyler is pursuing a PhD at the University of Aberdeen. He holds master's degrees from Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, and is a member at Church of the Cross in Hopkins, Minnesota. So Tyler, thanks for being willing to talk about Advent today.
1: Yeah, great to be here.
0: Now, before we start, I think I need to share a brief story about Tyler and I, because we've been friends since, I think, 10th grade. I think that's right. And we went to college together, and, and we've known each other for a long time. But in high school, I had been working a job where I worked with a lot of Lutherans. And even though we were we grew up Baptist and we were at a Baptist high school, I, I had kind of started to really like Lutheranism for some reason. And I remember very distinctly, Tyler, you and your twin brother and our friend Shane, who talked on this podcast a few weeks ago about genre. You guys all talked me out of becoming a Lutheran. But then in a twist of irony, over the last few years, you have become convinced of Anglicanism and, and have sort of departed from, from the Baptist mm-hmm. denomination. So I think the, the tables have turned a little bit on us.
1: God has a sense of humor. That's yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's the case and um, I'm thankful that though you're outside of the denominational world that I'm in that you love God and the gospel and and so we can celebrate that together and we see that most pointedly in the birth of Christ in the incarnation and so we can talk about these things together. But before we get into Advent in particular, I wanted to talk with you about church calendars and in liturgical mm-hmm. calendars. The article that I referenced mentioned that many Baptists are starting to celebrate more in terms of a liturgical calendar instead of the American holiday calendar. And I thought it would be good for you to share with us, as one who's part of a church that would celebrate more of these events, why Christians follow church calendars, and, and really what are these calendars for?
1: Yeah, well, I should say right off the bat that right, it's one of the— one of the benefits of the church calendar is um, just like what we're doing right now, Baptist and Anglican getting Anglican getting together, talk about God and um, the gospel that we both love so much. Part of the church calendar is it unites uh, denominations and uh, people of faith across all traditions, um, and so it, it's there's a sense in which um, there's no country that can span the entire church. Right, every country has its own calendar and its own rhythms. Um, but the church, um, regardless of its country, um, can share a common calendar, and so we can come together in all kinds of things and be experiencing similar things. Um, as far as why do Christians follow a church calendar? What's it used for, and and things like that? I think it's important to realize that we all live by rhythms. So we all set, um, we all live our life. Um, with these rhythms of time, and and we always name our time. So we call things summer, or we call things fall, or we call things Christmas, or we call things summer vacation. And and how we name them, and how we um, controls how we view them, and how we view them controls how we live throughout them. And so, um, for example, we might think of summer vacation as this time of playfulness and the time to go on vacation, the time to come together as a family. But in the Christian calendar, we would call that season Pentecost, and we think it's time for mission, for service, and for um, the growth of the church. Um, As it comes to Advent, we might think of December. If we're thinking in a very kind of American context, we might think of December in terms of christmas right christmas mm-hmm. it's the christmas season and so just all of december gets kind of as soon as thanksgiving's over all december gets wrapped up into all that um christmas is in in our culture and that changes the way we act in december it, And it um and we could talk more about i think we'll talk more about later um what that means for an american culture and i think that if we're not careful um we will base um, the way that we move through time on the way that our culture sets it up for us, and we'll do it very um, without much thoughtfulness. And so I think that some Christian traditions follow a calendar to help train us to see the seasons as linked up with the aspects of the life of Christ so that we can um, be in step with each other as we move towards faithful li- living. Interestingly, Advent is the start of the Christian year, and so it's it's fitting for us to to start the Christian year as um, the the seasons are getting darker, right? The days are shortening. We're feeling that very tragically um, as it's getting colder and winter is coming upon us. But the church calendar starts with Advent right as things are getting into its darkest moments.
0: Mm. Yeah, I I think that's good to think about. In a a few episodes ago, I had mentioned a book by Drew Johnson called Mm. Human Rights, The Power of I think ritual habits and sacraments. Yeah. And he really pushes Christians to think about who is setting their rituals for them, yeah. who is constructing the rhythms that you're living your life by. And I think most of the time we just don't even realize what rhythms we're living our life by because it's so just part of who we are and what we do. And I think that speaks to the power of these rhythms and in, in these calendars and seasons. And I, I think it's good then for Christians to step back and say, mm. what, what are we scheduling our year by? Yeah. And we, we see how this works out, I think, probably most if, if we have a relative who goes off to boot camp or something for the first time, and mm. every moment of their day and their time away is scheduled mm. by somebody for a purpose, and and we might not think about how um, if, if impactful those rhythms are until yeah. we're in a, in kind of a condensed, hyper, you know, scheduled situation. But I mm-hmm. think our lives are really scheduled by these national calendars, yeah. and I, um, you know, as a Baptist, appreciate a lot yeah. of the things on a liturgical calendar and how it reframes the way we look at, at our our lives, the way we use our time and the seasons that we're in.
1: And and the what you brought up with the the military is I think a very apt illustration because um, the whole purpose of controlling the the schedule and the rhythms of life of, of um, those in boot camp and the people they're training is because they're trying to create a particular kind of person, right? They're trying to create soldiers. And so there's something about um, confining people to certain rhythms that creates something, it creates a kind of person. And so... Um, we have to really think about what, how the rhythms that we have found ourselves imbibing in, in our culture is making us into something. Mm-hmm. And I think particularly when it comes to the Christmas season, it very often makes us into just mindless consumers, mindless consumers of whatever the world has to offer for us, you know. Yeah. And 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 uh, yeah. So I think.
0: That's yeah, that cool. that's right, and and I think it, this is especially important to think about now, and we're, we're going to talk about Advent for most of this time, but I think <laughs> this idea of calendars and, and the rhythms we live our lives by are really important, mm-hmm. and as we've all seen, friends and our own lives, where over the last several months with COVID, our calendars have been radically altered, I, I think that's really been crushing for some people, and probably for all of us to one extent or another because that meaning structure giving calendar is gone. Uh, but we can rejoice that Advent leaves for nothing. You know, yeah. <laughs> Christmas doesn't go in and, and we want to be, entering into the season in the right way with the right mindset so that we're not sucked into sort of the consumerism Christmas motif that's Mm. been present for a really long time in in our history, and probably not just in America. This is true other places. But um, let's talk then about what Advent is and where it originated. Sure.
1: So Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, um, which actually comes from Greek... Uh, not the word Adventist, but it's it's a translation of the Prusia, which mm-hmm. is that we get the word coming, the coming of Christ, um, and so it just means coming. Adventist is the is the coming, um, and so it's a time of celebrating the coming of Christ. Um, historically, the origins of Advent are very hard to pin down, but we know that different versions of it um, started as early as the third century. So sometimes, um, if whenever people were coming into the church, they would uh, fast. Um, for forty days, and during those forty days, they would um, be uh, catechized, or they'd be taught the basics of the Christian faith. Um, and they called the they called that time Advent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they expected at the end of that time, when they were baptized into the into the church, to Christ to come in a particular way to to bless them and to um, send them off onto further mission as a part of the church. Um, I think that um, Advent is. Uh, it's also something that eventually started to become seen in regards to the second coming of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so there's a sense in which all of the Christian life was tied up with Advent, this waiting for the coming of the um, the coming of Christ at the end of all things. Um, and so, yeah, there was this, there were multiple places where this Advent, this sense of waiting kind of turned into a season. Um, and then it was moved into um, um, right before Christmas to, as like a, a fitting time to celebrate the, the archetypical coming of Christ was right before Christmas, um, and so that's since that's the prime example. That's that's whenever they put it um, all the way back. I think in the in the fifth and sixth centuries, I think is what I, some of the things that I read. Um, that's where they started to put it right before Christmas to see to really prioritize Christmas as the first coming.
0: Yeah, I I think that might be helpful in. Uh, you know, we can be kind of maybe cynical sometimes and talk about how we don't know the day that Jesus was born on, sure. and so December twenty five is kind of an arbitrary yeah. date in in what we're doing and celebrating the birth of Christ yeah. on, on Christmas. But when we start to think of a season of waiting, I think it does something that allows us to soak in this thought and meditation of Christ's first advent his coming in his incarnation. And that will then orient us to think of the second advent and long for that much like we do as we partake in in the Lord's supper. And as we celebrate every Sunday, his resurrection, we're looking forward as we look back on the first advent. I think it it points us in that direction as well.
1: Well, yeah. And I think from, I mean, from the dawn of time, we've all, not from the dawn of time, but you know, from the start of the early church, then uh, the, most people have realized we don't know exactly when Christ was born. However, as they started to think about rhythms and calendars, they started to think, okay, um, the the people, so to quote Isaiah 9, um, uh, the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Mm-hmm. And so they thought that it was fitting that if we're going to celebrate the, the coming of Christ, that should be at a dark time. So let's pick the darkest time of the year, mm-hmm. right? November going to December. And then let's pick some of the darkest days of the year, we'll celebrate Christmas there because that's where Christ comes. The light of the world comes in the most darkest of circumstances. And I think that's also what part of what Ad- Advent is about. It's about um, waiting waiting for Christ to show up. He already did show up once in the incarnation, so he celebrated then. But it's also this in-between the times, waiting for the eschaton to come. But there's also these you know hundreds thousands millions of little moments of Christ coming that we're also expecting during advent mm-hmm. i think i mean even in our culture right now we're um you know we just had an election regardless of what what you think of that election or the outcomes of that election it's still um we we feel that our country's in great uh trial and turmoil um with covid-19 and things like that and so there's just a sense in which we need christ to come we need him to help us we need um we need him during this season and so we we We, the Adventist time to remember that.
0: Yeah, I, I think of those images of Christ coming and tending to his people in the book of Revelation, where in Revelation 1, you have this Son of Man vision, where mm. Christ is among the lampstands, is this royal and priestly figure tending yeah. to the lamps. And so that's really what we're asking for and what we should be praying for always, that Christ will tend to his people, is the shepherd and our priest and king. Yeah. You you mentioned a little bit about the way Advent was practiced with fasting, which I'd I'd like to talk more about that when we get into it. But um, as, as we think about the celebration of Advent um, and, and the themes that are focused on, what, what are people looking at beyond simply just maybe the, the small seed idea of Jesus was once born in, in the Incarnation?
1: Yeah, I think you have to think, you have to remember that Advent is a time of uh, celebration, but it's also a time of repentance. And so there's a sense of waiting for um, Advent or waiting for Christ to come, and there's this expectation. And so it's happy, it's full of joy. But there's also this like sense of it's actually really scary um, whenever Christ comes because. We know that when Christ sees us, he sees us as we really are and not as we want to be seen. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we know that we are full of sin. And the gospel reminds us that the proper response to this fear and shame is repentance. So Advent is a time of joyful expectation, but also a time of observance. Um, I think that also when we think of Advent, um, we have to remember that it's not... Uh, it's not Christmas. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so we, um, in, in many traditions, you don't even sing Christmas hymns during Advent. You you wait after, um, after December 25th and actually in the, in the church calendar, um, Christmas is a season. It, it lasts 10 days. Um, and, and it doesn't even happen until uh, December 25th. And so Advent is not Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, This is significant because it avoids the kind of hasty cotton candy joys of celebration Mm -hmm. um, that our culture so imbibes that we kind of mentioned earlier. Um, Advent prepares us for the joy of Christmas by withholding it from us in anticipation. There's something about waiting and longing for it that makes that moment when you finally get it uh, worth it. It it makes it even more special. It's like seeing the presents build up. Um, throughout December, perhaps, underneath the Christmas tree and finally getting to open them, finally mm-hmm. getting them. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's that withholding of joy for the sake of anticipation. And That's what fasting is, right? It's mm-hmm. the withholding of food so that you can see that the God who is beyond all things, the God who gives us food, um, gives himself in food and gives himself in all things that are good. So sometimes we, um, we don't want to be like uh, there has been times in church history where people have mistakenly thought that God wants us to um, abstain from worldly pleasures full stop um, Mm -hmm. and that God was somehow pleased with that. And so we don't want to be like that, but we have to realize that because God has given us us good things, um, the Bible also teaches us that fasting is a way in which we can more fully enjoy them by withholding them for a second to realize that they are truly gifts from God and they are meant to show us something beyond just themselves. The God who's beyond them.
0: Yeah. Well, I think I hear you saying that Advent is not a Target commercial because <laughs> I, I'm <laughs> yes. going to butcher this, but I think there was a series of Target commercials around Christmas time a while ago that it was some Swedish word, hygge or something like that. Like sure. that feeling of like you know, cozy by the fire with yes. your presents and everything. And and that's you're you're describing repentance yeah. and anticipation and um and and that I think is probably more fitting in the way that anyone in the Bible felt as they had encounters with Christ or were yeah. longing for the Messiah. I mean yeah. I, I think of the the rich man in the gospels, the rich young ruler who comes to Christ and says, yeah. I've I've obeyed everything. What else do I need to inherit eternal life? Yeah. And, and he Jesus sees him for what he is mm. and and calls him on it. And so I think that I probably have failed to enter into, I'll call it the Christmas season for the sake of yeah. this, you know these these months, this month leading up until Christmas. Um, I, I don't think I very often think of repentance. Yeah. I think I often think of joy of Christ's incarnation, but repentance I don't think I've really thought of as something that's fitting for for this season.
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's first of all, no one likes repentance. And we mm-hmm. live in a culture that doesn't I mean, likes to make us quickly forget about our need to repent. Mm-hmm. It's just a slow, steady stream of uh it's like an it's like getting an IV, you know, it's like you get it's something struck in your arm and it's just like happiness and joy is just like slowly flooded into you, you know. Mm-hmm. There's no sense of like stop, reflect. You are not who you present yourself to others as. Mm-hmm. Um and you you are in deep need.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so repentance and um, anticipation, are, are there other themes that are focused on during the observance of Advent? Yeah. During this
1: time, you're also thinking of the gospel narratives. So particularly um, the, the, Luke and, and um, some of the beginning of the gospels where it talks uh, right before Christ has come. I think some of the, the two main figures I always think about is John the Baptist and Mary, Mm-hmm. So, with John the Baptist, you know, he begins, he is right at the beginning of the New Testament. And if you kind of look at the, the Bible as a whole, you have the Old Testament where God seems to be very active. He's sending like prophets and he's laying down laws. And it's mm-hmm. like, people are like, okay, we are the people of Yahweh. And then all of a sudden, just like, drop, stop. Doesn't say anything for what, 400 years? this intertestamental period. And of course, a lot of things are happening. A lot of things are during that time that are really important to, to know and important for the, the believers who are um, expecting God to come in a, and Yahweh to come in a particularly f- profound way. But he just seems to be silent. Um, and then you have this figure that emerges. who's like just starting to baptize people. And he's like, prepare the way of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, I think that's a profound image. And I think it's actually the, it's it, it's an image, I think, of the church, because we are in a time where Christ has come. He was really powerful, um, appearing in all kinds of, of um, um, like, what did he... Uh Things that he did during his lifetime, so like miracles yeah, and things yeah, like that. That's the word I was looking for. A miracle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay. could not think of the word miracle. The Christmas miracle just stole yeah. it from me. Yeah. <laughs> Nevertheless, so Jesus comes with all kinds of miracles, but then mm-hmm. you know, He He leaves us. And we are our, our job is to prepare the way for the Lord, prepare the, the second coming of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So what did John the Baptist do? He baptized and he preached repentance. And that's what the church does, is that we um, we baptize people like this is the Great Commission, right? We baptize people and we teach them repentance. So in John the Baptist, I think we we see um, a calling to the church of which we should be all the time.
0: Yeah, I I think that's right, and I think you know as we're reading this development of Israel in in their calling to really be witnesses to God and and essentially mediators of his presence to the earth yeah. you you almost see them failing in this for such a long time yeah. and of course initially with that destruction of the temple in 586 and and then the building of the second something seems wrong there and so as we're reading the gospels and and John the Baptist comes he's almost like the um you know paradigmatic israelite as they should have been yeah. bearing witness to god and and uh, mediating the the knowledge of god to everyone to the nations and, and really to Israel herself who's forgotten God yeah and I think that
1: idea of uh, mediating the presence of God I think is really important and it, it actually brings up I think the second figure of Mary mm-hmm. um, because in Mary um, God appears to her in the in the figure of an angel and declares to her what he what he wants to do with her and then she responds, um, I'm the handmaid of the Lord. Do do it to me as you will, mm-hmm. right? So she submits to God's plan for her, and takes uh, the Son of God into herself, and then bears it. Mm-hmm. And so she is. She suffers rejection from her community. She's she's about ready to get divorced because of it. Um, and then she just suffers the the pain of childbirth in a stable, mm-hmm. right? And so through much pain and anguish. She literally bears the Christ child to the world. And I think that that is the calling of every Christian. The calling of every Christian is to respond to the Lord. I'm the handmaid of the Lord. I'll do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And it's the it's the calling of every Christian to, in the midst of much pain and suffering and anguish, still nevertheless hand Christ over to the world, Deliver him, literally deliver him to the world. Um, we are called to be mediators mm-hmm. of of people to god uh, a nation of priests right that and so i think that's what mary does i think that's what she teaches us and um and so this is also a time during advent as as mary herself was um longing for for christ to come to birth in her i think we share in that longing during advent and we we long to live ever more holy lives so that other people can receive christ from us so they can see him being formed in our life and that we can in a sense, give him to them for Christmas. Yeah, I
0: I I think this um, Mary figure is really interesting. And I don't know what you think about uh, tracing themes through the Bible, sure. But I, I have been reading Genesis a lot, and of course we think of Genesis 3:15, where where there's this, you know, word to the woman that your seed will crush the the head of the serpent and, and your seed's heel will be bruised by him. And then as I'm reading the old testament, I think there are Um, woman figures, so almost New Eves in multiple places. And then there's always this, you have these male descendants and you're kind of wondering, are they going to be more like the seed of the serpent or are they going to be the seed of the woman who crushes the serpent? Mm -hmm. And and very often these uh, women, I think New Eve figures are... Unable to have children, they're they're li- labeled as barren or infertile for one reason or the other, and yeah. so you think of Isaac or, or Abraham's wife Sarah initially, and and then yeah. you almost have this. I I kind of think of it as a miraculous conception because there's this. Yeah. It's I think it's miraculous, in, yeah. and it's described that way. And then you have the same thing with um, her son's wife uh, Rachel in particular. Yeah. Isaac's, you know, God grants to her um this this birth of a child and and you see all all the time in the old testament women who can't bear children i think of ruth you know she's married for 10 years to this israelite guy and they have no kids during that 10 years And then at the end of Ruth, she's she's married to Boaz, and right away, Mm. the text says that Yahweh granted to her conception. And so then as we fast forward, I think these new E figures are really climactically viewed in in Mary. And so if we read the Bible backwards, they're Mary figures, you know, where, where Mary is... Barren, you know, it's a yeah. miracle for her to have a have a child. And then as we continue reading the New Testament forward, I think we can say in a sense that the bride of Christ, you know, very often as we look at church history is just barren. The yeah. church fails to to show Christ to the world and, and to see new life is is there's this regeneration that we talk about is that we see especially in the gospel of John this this being born of God and and so i think that we can look at mary as a church and say we want to be like mary you know yeah. not, not be like mike be like mary yeah. and and in that sense bear christ to the world and see new life in in I don't know if we can say this the the womb of our congregation springing up as we see unbelievers yeah. receive the gospel, and I think this season is a, a unique time to share that.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's it's significant that the church is called a she; it's mm-hmm. a bride of Christ, and um, yeah, I think I mean in the I don't know how you interpret Revelation, the book of Revelation, but there it seems like there's a, a heavenly Jerusalem up there that um, that. A lot of people have assumed was the church bearing christ to the world in some sense and so there's i think it's very important to think about the church is, in some sense, a kind of Marian figure. Well,
0: and and that's really interesting. I forget which chapter in Revelation. I think seventeen, maybe, where yeah. where the woman is bearing the child, who's clearly Christ. And then yeah. it seems like Christ, that child's people, Christ's people, bear his sufferings. And in yeah. um, there are other texts, you know, that we we love to reference in these kind of large Bible look conversations. Like sure. I think Romans sixteen twenty, where the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And and yeah. so th- the church takes on, I think different identities, are different analogies that we yeah. connect to. And and I think when we come to this Christmas season, Advent time, to think of Christ or to think of Mary and women before her, Hannah and, and Rebecca and um, Sarah and others, to think how are we to, in one sense, carry Christ forward in this world is really good.
1: Yeah, I think um, so— When you brought up Abraham, I thought of um, um, Romans, is it Romans 4? Where Mm -hmm. um, if Abraham had faith that Sarah was going to produce a a child, even though she was as good as dead, yeah, right? Even though her womb was as good as dead. And so there's a sense in which the birth of Isaac is a resurrection, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I mean, there was a, her womb was dead. And then like there was a resurrection of that womb and and the promised child come out, out of it. So I think that even in the birth of Christ, we see a promise of the resurrection mm-hmm.
0: i i agree in our bible class we're talking uh, about some of these things and i was commenting that i think in the the ancient world and really in our world if we stop and think about it death is a lot broader than just the physical death of a body. Mm. Like we, we think of death in a lot of these ways. And I think you're right. An infertile womb Mm. is, is a graveyard really. It's, it's doing nothing to mitigate the death that comes as a consequence uh, of breaking covenant with God and, and so we could probably keep talking about this, but we should keep moving here. But it, it,
1: it is significant, though, that the Advent comes at the darkest time of the year, like I mentioned. Yep. And so there's this sense of like hopelessness, and it's right in the midst of hopelessness of where it's super cold outside. I don't know. I mean, you might have listeners that are way down south and are not feeling the cold, but it's like snowing right now, and it gets dark super early now, and that's only going to continue. And it's, it's whenever life seems to be at its, its final breaking point mm-hmm. that Christ comes into the world.
0: Yeah, that, that's a good point, and we should probably know if anyone cynically looking at, at this time of year is just a crutch to get Minnesotans through the the dark days. You're you're kind of onto something, but it's bigger than that. It's it's this new life, this resurrection coming coming from death. Well, let's talk then about how Advent is celebrated or how it's been historically celebrated. You you mentioned fasting a little bit, and uh, but are there other ways that um, we might Celebrate Advent.
1: Yeah, and I think I mean there are some common themes throughout history, but it's a lot of it's going to depend on uh, your the tradition that you're in, and then also your your geographical custom. So, like in uh, Northern Europe, um, Advent wreaths became very popular, Um, and then that was kind of that kind of spread from Northern Europe uh, during the Middle Ages uh, into other spaces throughout the church, and so. uh, But that was you know one geographic. custom that they kind of spread around and there are other local customs that are celebrated, but, um, one common theme is you're going to see a lot of candles. Nice. To see. So candles okay. is, a, is a big deal here. Uh, and that's simply because Christ is the light of the world. And mm-hmm. so Advent always starts in darkness and you almost always in, in, in most, um, traditions, <coughs> most traditions that, um, celebrate Advent, you're going to see four candles cause there's four Sundays in Advent um, and it's always going to start in, in dark, as dark as you can get that place. And there's going to be one light and it's mm-hmm. going to be the first candle that's going to be lit. And every week you light a new candle. Uh, mm-hmm. but it always starts in darkness and gets gradually more light.
0: Yeah, that I I like that picture. It reminds me of the language in First John of, you know, the the darkness is passing away because the true light is already shining. And yeah. And to remember the full on darkness and then to see this this shining of the light as the darkness passes away is really a, a great picture. Yeah, and and it
1: it transfers nicely into Christmas because like you're getting more and more light. And then whenever Christmas finally comes, then it's like you break out all the lights mm-hmm. and you just put lights Everything should have a light on it. In my opinion, in Christmas, in,
0: including your, your tie that I'm sure you're wearing. Yeah. On occasion. Yeah. That lights up and yeah. mm-hmm, that, uh, yeah. That it sings maybe a song sings or a or jingle. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah.
1: Undoubtedly. Um, the, that's, that's mainly what you would see, um, in like a church context for okay. like on a weekly Sunday. I mean, there are lots of other family traditions, uh, they would include things like different kinds of candles and wreaths. Um, uh, one is like a Jesse tree where you the, you take like 24 days leading up to, to Christmas and you kind of recount the biblical narrative story by story in, in kind of 24 paradigmatic stories throughout the Bible. I think that's called the Jesse tree. Um, you're also going to see a lot of purple. Purple okay. is the liturgical color of Advent. In some traditions, it's blue, but it's, it's usually purple, which is the same color of Lent, which is like the color of repentance and the color of um, contemplation of fasting. You're also going to see gold, which you're not going to see at Lent, um, t- which is going to be a, a more celebratory color. Um, so yeah, you're going to have that mix of of uh, gold and purple that symbolize the repentance and celebration.
0: Yeah. Well, that that's helpful, especially as we engage with Friends and neighbors who are in a denominational tradition where corporately these things are being celebrated, but I think that probably among Baptists, at least the Baptists I know who celebrate Advent, it's celebrated more as a family and as individuals. And yeah. um, are are there practices that are common among families who who would regularly uh, observe Advent together?
1: Yeah. Well, so the the Jesse tree is one thing I've seen mm-hmm. at other people's house at people's houses, but. Um, you know, every family I think finds these their their own ways to do it, but there are like different candle traditions. Mm-hmm. You light like a you know twenty four candles on sure. your way to the to, to Christmas, and um, there's different kind of calendars where you you know move the little piece out, or it's getting mm-hmm. slowly closer to to Christ coming. Um, I've also heard um, I've also heard people who really wanted to focus on the like, celebratory aspect of of Advent. Um, I've heard them do. Uh, like give small gifts throughout, uh, throughout Advent to, mm. in kind of like to to get their the ki- the what's the word like get your whistle wet for for a celebration. <laughs> wet your right? whistle, wet your whistle. That's what yeah. I'm looking for. Um, but to kind of prepare the stage right for yeah. this like the grander gift that you're gonna you're gonna give. And I think I think Christmas to to go beyond Advent for a second to talk about Christmas. I think Christmas is one of those times where I think our our culture has become kind of a parody of what it should be because in reality, everything should become stuff for Christmas. Like you shouldn't just tell people you love them. You should give them something because like God, the God beyond all stuff became stuff. Mm -hmm. He like took on flesh. And so like it should be a time of just like radically incarnation, incarnationalizing everything. Don't just tell someone you love them, make them some fudge and give them the fudge. Right on. And I think that Advent can be a time of like making those preparations of like, getting getting the recipes in line getting the gifts wrapped so that like it, it make it a time of service so that whenever christmas comes it's like time to incarnate everything
0: yeah so so the celebration of advent isn't sort of a kind of mopey, you know, we hate Christmas, bah humbug, everyone go <laughs> away. But it's actually probably a more life-giving way of approaching sharing love through these physical, tangible embodiments of love, wh- whether that's in a gathering of family or in gifts that you give.
1: Yeah. And and there's probably going to be, I mean, every year is different, right? Like you're in a different place every year. And so a year like 2020 you you may just need like sackcloth and ashes and mm-hmm. repentance, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there are other years where God has just been overwhelming. It, it, you've sensed His overwhelming blessing. Not that God is not overwhelmingly blessing in other years, but there may be years where you just you have a, a more profound sense of of His blessing, and and that's the time where you can overflow in that direction. And so, there are just um, you there's no laws in place. And I think that sometimes, and this is the beauty of the church calendar is that there's many different ways and avenues in which God can bless you through it.
0: Well, however you enter into the Christmas and Advent season, it's our prayer that you'll be dwelling on Christ, meditating on him, and rejoicing in his birth. And to help you do this, we're hoping to have in stock in the church in, in a few weeks a resource that will help you do this. It's a small book written by David Mathis, a, a pastor at a church in our area, called The Christmas We Didn't Expect. And it's a a reading for every day of the month of December leading up to our celebration of the birth of Christ thanks for taking the time to talk about Advent and Christmas as our local Christmas expert here. It's been fun to connect here again. Questions and answers about the Bible and theology is a podcast of Crystal Lake Baptist Church in Burnsville, Minnesota. You can learn more at clbcmn.org.